can go check out our website and our podcasts, and we record everything that's going on. And so, right on. Well, it is good tonight to be here, and uh, we are excited to have uh, Adam Browett with us. And Adam and Shandy are at uh, West Edmonton Christian uh, Assembly, WECA, and uh, he's the associate pastor. Uh, she's also on staff. Uh, but I actually got the privilege of going to Bible school with them very briefly. And so, um, so we, attended, uh, we attended Bible school together and uh, just really just felt that God had put a word that something we just had to have Adam come. And I'm like, Adam, would you come? And so I just want you to give a really warm welcome to Adam as he comes and shares. And Thanks, man. Well, thanks for having me. This is a very fancy pulpit. That is very dangerous. Gosh. What do you, where do you guys put your water here? And there you go. You know, I, I'm so happy to be here. Um, I, I love, love Resurgence. I, I've been following you from afar. I used to pastor on Vancouver Island, and uh, I remember when you first launched and, and getting these little emails about Resurgence, and over the past, I guess 2008, you said you started, but um, ever since you've started, I've always kind of had you in the back of my mind, the back of my prayers, and ironically, I've been here for five years almost, and I've never been to Resurgence. Even though you're close to my heart, um, pray for you regularly, but uh, I've never been here. So thanks for having me. Um, the, the, the community that you have here, the presence of God that's here, there's something special about gathering um, in the presence of God with, with a bunch of like-minded people where, where you want to receive from God, but not just so we can receive, but so we can see God move all across the city. I love the heart of resurgence. I love the passion that Travis brings. Travis is a, a brother from another mother. And I, I am happy, happy, happy to be here. I brought my wife with, with me. She, uh, she is fierce. You know, she sent, the, she sent a text the other day to the wrong person, invited that person to church, and that person ended up coming to church on Sunday morning getting saved. And, and, so, and, and so, so God works in very fascinating ways. So don't, so don't discredit a little random spam text. You could be changing somebody's life. Um, I have a picture of my family. I think that uh, if you guys have it there, I want to introduce you to them. Um, I have four, four, four kids. Uh, my wife hates when I say this, but this is how um, Jim Gaffigan puts it. Um, if you want to know what it's like to have four kids, imagine you're, you're drowning and somebody passes you a baby. That, that, that's kind of what it's like to have, having four kids. Just, just kidding. It's not like that at all. Um, uh, the, my daughter, um, her name's Bronwyn. She's eight years old, and she's just started this new thing that she likes to use. She calls, or at least I call it, the sass finger. And uh, the other day, she looked at me so seriously. She looked right in my eyes and said, Dad, and did this move. You're weird. And... Um, she got that from her mom, I guess. And uh, um, the little blonde boy who, uh, who's there holding his face, his name's Anderson. He's six years old. We had this little powerful little father-son moment a while back. And, and he said, looked at me so seriously. And he said, Dad, I know what I want to be when I'm older. And I was like, awesome. Okay, son, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he looked at me so seriously. I want to be a ninja turtle. And I remember thinking to myself, what? That's awesome. One, that's awesome. But, but two, you got to pick something more and more like human. And, and, so, and so, so he's like, okay. And I can see him thinking and he closes his eyes. He just got this like serious little thought. And he, so all of a sudden like a light goes off. He's like, ding. I know what I want to be. I want to be a p. And as soon as I hear the p, I'm like, oh, he's going to say pastor. This is so awesome. Say it to me, son. What do you want to be when you're older? I want to be a Pokemon trainer. <laughs> 
There you go. I've got a long ways to go as a parent. Um, Benson, he's, he's my other son. He brings the party in our house. He's so funny. He's four years old. And uh, uh, a couple years ago, we were sitting there. Um, I was upstairs in our house, and I hear the fridge door open. And, and there's certain kids that you have, if you hear the fridge door open, you start to panic, right? And, so, and so, so I come running downstairs, and I get down to the stairs, and I kid you not, this is 100% true. There's Benson lying on the couch, butt naked, drinking syrup right out of the jar. Like if, <laughs> it was crazy, like father, like son. I don't know where he gets it from. Just kidding, that would be really weird. Um, um, the little baby there, his name's Thomas. And my wife and I, we are foster parents. And uh, little Thomas, he's our, our, our little blessing of, of, of a child. And uh, just uh, a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, we were able to sign our final adoption paper to bring adoption, uh, to bring Thomas into our family. And it was such an awesome thing. And it was awesome because of this. And I don't, I don't know where you're, where you're at in terms of your, your spiritual walk. You, you may have thought this was like a hot date and you brought your girlfriend. You're like, what the heck just happened here? And, and I, don't, I don't know what the spiritual condition of your heart is. But what I do know is this. I do know that God does amazing things. And adoption is such a beautiful picture of how Christianity works. Okay, now Thomas, he was born, he had no skills. Like, Thomas could do nothing. All he did is cry, eat, and poop. It's pretty, basically what men do forever. And, and, and so there's Thomas, and, and literally, he can't do anything. He doesn't bring any, any tangible monetary value to our home. He has no skills yet. But yet, I love him as if he's my own. And I bring him in as if he's my own. And my family wraps their arms around him and we treat him as if he's our own. And then we adopt him and he becomes our own. And his last name becomes Browett. And it's an amazing thing. And that's how God works. You see, before I even knew we got, Thomas existed, I remember Shandy called me and she said, okay, we got to go pick up Thomas from the hospital. And it was this crazy moment as we're going into the hospital, never before having seen uh, this little baby. But I knew that like, the second we got out of the car and as we're walking through the parking lot, I knew that I knew that I knew that no matter what, I'm going to love this kid even though he doesn't even know that I exist yet. And God works the same way. He loves you whether you even believe that he exists or not. And that's a phenomenal truth that you can hold on to and let that rattle around your head tonight. My prayer, I don't know where you're at. I don't know where any of us are at. But what I do know is that compared to God, we all kind of suck. And uh, compared to God, we, we are like Thomas. We don't have that many great skills. God doesn't love us based on our skills and our talents. He loves us for, for who you are. And that's a beautiful thing. Uh, this, more, or this evening, God put a very specific word in my heart. It was very fascinating as I was praying for, for, for this weekend. Three or four words he brought to mind. Number one, he, he said, real people, real faith. And I'm so, so hungry for real nowadays. I've spent way too many years going after convenient. And convenient isn't real, Right? And I've spent so many years, um, I've spent so many years faking it, if I'm going to be honest. And now, honestly, tonight, I just want to be as honest and, and, and as real before you as I can. Because at the end of the day, uh, well, at the end of the day, you don't know me. I don't work here, so it's all good. Uh, at the end of the day, my, my heart is that you come to know God more. And that come to know God as that real Lord and Savior who, who applies just as much as he does in here. And worship was crazy. Worship was great. I don't know where Karis went. You're, I see you. And so, so, so worship, like, that was awesome. Shandy and I were standing over there, and I'm just thinking, I'm going to drink this in. Because, because uh, my, I'm not even going to get into what our worship's like. This was, this was great. 
And, 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 I, and I loved, I just love being in the presence of God. And there's a serious and amazing, wonderful presence of God. And God works in great ways here. But he also works when we're at home. And he also works and does amazing things when, when, when life falls apart. And he also works and does amazing things when, when life is boring and you're sitting there at work or when you're up in the middle of the night and your baby's crying and it feels like you have no energy left to, to change another diaper, but, but you, you, you do it. Or, or when, you, when you're flunk, your, your last exam, you're like, I think I'm going to have to drop out of school. I'm on, I'm on academic probation. This is falling apart. And God is there in those moments. And God is phenomenal. And he's real. And no matter what we face, he's real. And we need to get that into our spirits today. That God applies not just in worship services, not just in church services, not just in prayer meetings, but he applies when, when everything starts to fall apart. And I want to look at the scriptures today and see where that is. So my message tonight, if you're taking any kind of notes, it's called real faith. And the word real is a fascinating word. It means this, actually existing as a thing or occurring, in fact, not imagined or supposed. Craig Rochelle wrote a book called Christian Atheist. I highly recommend you read it if you haven't read it before. But there's this, this I will call it an epidemic. And what it is, it's a Christians who, who we say we believe in Christianity, but do we actually believe what we say we believe? Do we actually believe that God answers prayers? Do we actually believe that God actually loves us for who we are and where we're at? Do we actually believe this stuff? And that's the essence of what I want to touch on today, this kind of real faith. And that's my prayer for all of us in this room, that we can leave here knowing that, one, God is real. Two, we are real. Three, that we can have a real faith despite what it is that you're going through. So I want to look at Matthew. I want to walk through a very fascinating story. You see, on this particular day, it was Herod's birthday. And I'm going to look at Matthew chapter 14, verse 6. And it says, On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked for. Now, that's a terrible idea. Like maybe it's because I have children. Maybe it's because I was a youth pastor for, for many years. But the reality is children have dumb ideas. And if you make this oath in front of a whole bunch of people that that is such an amazing dance, little girl, I'm going to give you absolutely whatever you want. Just take it from me. Don't do that. Do not do that. In verse 8, prompted by her mother, and you can just picture all of a sudden Herodias, our Herod, Herod is like, okay, you can have whatever you want. And she's thinking, yes, awesome. I want to go to Disneyland. And right before she can pop that out of her mouth, her mom's like, hey, get over here. And she comes over to her mom, and her mom's like, hey, listen up. This is what you're going to say. I don't care about Disneyland. You're going to say this. And she goes over, and she opens her mouth. And to everybody's shock, she says, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. Now, that's a serious, awkward moment at a party. At one moment, everybody's dancing, everything's great. I will give you whatever you want, little girl. <laughs> okay, I want a head. <laughs> what? It's crazy. So in verse 9, the king was distressed. Well, duh, you just made the stupidest decision ever, giving a girl whatever she wanted. And it says, the king was distressed. But because of the oaths and his, and, um, because of the oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. 
John's disciples came and they took the body and they buried it. And then they went and told Jesus. Now, this is a very fascinating story. One, it's the weirdest birthday party ever. <laughs> Two, it's fascinating that these men went and told Jesus. And why is that fascinating? Of course, we go and tell Jesus everything. Well, we need to look at it from this pers perspective. You see, Jesus was John's second cousin. In other words, Jesus' family member just died. In other words, Jesus just got some pretty horrible news. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but for years I went through this assumption that nothing bad ever happened to Jesus. I mean, we know the cross happened, and that's pretty bad. But you think of it as life, and you think, oh, Jesus is perfect. He can, he can walk on water. He can turn water into wine. He can heal dead people. He can make the blind see. He can do anything. He's Jesus. But here we see that even Jesus has a bad day. And I think it's so ironic that we as Christians feel as though we have to pretend everything always is awesome. It's not. And when the world sees Christians pretend that everything is awesome, the world sees hypocrites. And the world sees this disconnect. And the world sees us trying to make sense of all this, trying to put on a happy face so that we can be joyful in every circumstance. And then we, 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 we put on this front and then all of a sudden the world's saying, well, what do you do when your wife is sleeping with another man? Or what do you do when you lose your job? Or what do you do when, 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 when someone close to you passes away? Or what do you do when everything falls apart? And the world is craving answers. And the world is looking out at our generation and saying, where is this God you speak of? And we say, well, well he's at church. He's He's here. But where is he when life falls apart? Oh, my life doesn't fall apart. I'm a Christian. Everything's always fine. And we laugh and we say, that's silly. I get what you're saying, Pastor. But then we go back home and we pretend everything's all fine. It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. And so, so Jesus' second cousin dies. And in verse 13, this is where the day starts. Okay, And oftentimes when we look at Scripture, what happens is we read Scripture verses, and then we, we preach a good sermon, and then we just move on with the rest of our lives. And sometimes we don't realize that all these things are interconnected. And so I want to look at this day with you. So in verse 13, our day begins. And when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. In other words, Jesus heard this bad news that his second cousin just died. And he's going to go spend some time to grieve. And so I just want you to take a moment and hear my voice. It's okay to grieve. Jesus grieved. You can grieve. And Jesus spent time and he's like, okay, he gets this terrible news. And I want you to picture it. Because sometimes we just read words and we blast through it. But think about this. Jesus, the, the, the son of God. Hey, this human being. Fully God, fully man. Fully experiencing the garbage we experience. He felt it. You know what it feels like to grieve. Jesus does too. Let that encourage you tonight. Okay? And so, so he withdraws to this place to be alone and spend time, to spend time grieving. Now hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And they're saying, Jesus is over there. I, I, I want to see what he's doing. Why is he going to go spend time by himself? I, I want to know. And when Jesus landed, he saw these large crowds. And it says, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. 
Now, this is important for us to realize because even at Jesus' worst, Jesus still made time for people. And it speaks to the character of God. You see, sometimes, like, if I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, like, when, when I have a bad day, I kind of want to just lock my room away and just, like, listen to Adele and cry and just, <laughs> just, just, just have a moment, right? But, but, but here's Jesus. He doesn't, put, he doesn't put his Christianity on the back shelf, which, which we kind of do sometimes. Okay, and I'm not here to judge anybody because I do it too. Okay, where, where, where something bad happens and we say, well, well, well okay, I'm, this, is just, just a, this is just a season of suck. And, and I, don't, I don't think I'm going to go to church for a while. I'm just going to lock myself away. And, and I'm not, I'm, I don't need to be a Christian right now. I mean, there's lots of other Christians out there who can do the Christian thing. But even Jesus, when he was at his worst, he still saw people and, and, and still, still had compassion on them. And I love that about God. Because at the forefront of his mind always is others. And oh, how quick I can be selfish with my time, my love, my compassion when my life hurts. Now, I'm not saying don't grieve, and I'm not saying don't spend time. I'm not saying don't, 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 don't give yourself um, margin to be able to, to heal. But what I am saying is that it's not okay just to shut your Christianity off. Push through. So verse 15, as evening approaches, the disciples come up to him and they say, whoa, 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 Jesus, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Don't you recognize this? Send the crowds away. What are you doing? So they can go home, so they can get food. They can't eat out here. And, and, and this, is, this is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. So you've got to remember that. Oftentimes we hear all oh, the day that Jesus fed the 5,000, he was obviously in Jesus mode doing awesome Jesus things because Jesus is God. But this day that Jesus fed the 5,000, his cousin just died. And he, he was trying to find some time to get alone and mourn and grieve and spend some time by himself. And there were so many people coming around that he had no choice. He had just to compete completely, just, con, just continue just, just to have compassion. It's crazy. So we know the story. Jesus looks at his disciples. They do not need to go away. Just, you give them something to eat, and he takes, he takes five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he, he, he breaks the bread, and he prays, and, and God multiplies, and God's faithful. And in verse 21, it says, the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. And all this takes place while Jesus is still grieving. Verse 22, the, the day progresses. Okay, so it's still the same day. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And so he said, all right, guys, guys, we've got to get this going. Just go. I'll, I'll dismiss the crowd. And he looks at the crowd and says, all right, all right, all right, all right, everybody go. You've had enough of food. You can leave now. Then in verse 23, it says, after he had dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. In other words, he came, he grieved, he served, and he still didn't have that solitary time, and so he still spent time for himself. So listen to me clearly. I'm not saying when bad stuff happens, you need to bottle it all up and just keep serving like crazy. You need to have a margin and a level of self-care that exists in your life. And Jesus spent time after he sent everybody off, and he refueled, and he connected with God, and he said, okay, God, my day sucked. And he just prayed. And he spent some time alone, him and, him and the Father. Later that night, he was there alone, 
And the boat was already in a considerable distance from the land. And so you can, just, just far off, you, you, can, you can see this boat out there. And it says, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now, the word buffeted is an awkward word. Whoever uses that word, I don't know. But it means stricken repeatedly and violently by the waves. In other words, here's this boat out in the distance being just, just battered by a storm. And I, I, could just, I could just imagine these, these disciples, right? Like, you got to remember, like, Jesus sent them into the storm, okay? And sometimes God sends you into a storm. you got to get that, okay? When, when, when Jesus was baptized, the first thing that happened after he was baptized, the Holy Spirit sent him in the wild, into the wilderness to, to be tempted, okay? So sometimes we get this idea that God, when we become a Christian and everything's going good, that nothing bad happens. Well, sometimes God sends you directly into the storms, Okay, And so sometimes, if you just really think about it for a second, sometimes we're praying for God to take away the very thing that God put in place. Hashtag boom. <laughs> Millennials clap at that joke. It's how we roll. It's how we roll. So, so you've got to imagine this. And if you're taking notes, this is what I want you to write down. I want you to write this. Number one. Real faith grows in seasons of discomfort and pain and uncertainty. And so if we want this kind of real faith, these moments that we spend at an altar are great for stirring up the faith. But real faith really is, is, is born, it's grown, it's established, it's developed in those seasons of suck, in those hard storms in those times when it feels like everything's falling apart. You see, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes something very fascinating in, 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 uh, in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 3. And in the New Living Translation, it says, Sorrow is better than laughter. Now, at first glance, you think to yourself, You're a nut. That doesn't make any sense. Well, you're supposed to be the wisest person who has ever lived. Sorrow is not better than laughter. But then he, then he qualifies his statement, and he says, for sadness has a refining influence on us. Like, if you, if you consider any one of these guitars, if the string is loose, it plays no music. There is no melody. There is no beauty. But when you add tension, just the right amount of tension, too much tension and it breaks, but just enough tension and it, and it can be something beautiful. And all of a sudden, out of, out of, once, uh, out of a string that was, was lifeless and, and played no music, all of a sudden you add some tension and all of a sudden you can hear some music out of this tension. That's very good, actually. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah, thank you. So moving on. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Okay, now, we, I need to back this up. You need to understand, we live in a post-Bible day, okay? So for us, we hear, oh, yeah, Jesus walked on the water, whatever. In this day and age, that wasn't normal. You see, Jesus didn't just, like, go swimming with his family and be like, all right, let's go swimming. He's like, I got this. Bet you wish you were me. Everybody else is in the water, and Jesus just strolling along in the middle of the pool. It didn't work like that. 
Okay, you got to get that into our heads. And so we read this, and it says, okay, imagine we got this boat, stormy water, we got waves happening everywhere, buffeting, whatever that is, it's happening right in the middle of the lake. And Jesus comes strolling out. And we get this idea in this picture in our head that Jesus is walking on calm water. It's not calm, it's stormy. So he's walking on these waves, and he just keeps going, and he's just kind of coming up and coming down. And it's this bizarre, very weird picture that in our day, we're like, oh yeah, Jesus walked on water, whatever. But imagine the sight of this. You're a fisherman. You're used to being out on the lake. You're used to being out on the water. You're used to storms. You get it. You understand what you're going to see or not see out there. And all of a sudden, here comes Jesus walking on the waves. Hey guys, I see that the waves are buffeting. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. What? And this is what I need us to understand. If you're taking notes, number two. Sometimes God shows up in ways that don't make sense. And that's also a really good one. Sometimes God shows up in ways that don't make sense. And we get this idea sometimes that God only shows up in specific circumstances. He only really comes after the sermon when the keys come in and you get this good pad sound and it's feeling very, very Holy Spirity in the room. That's when God shows up. Or we get this idea that God only shows up when, when somebody who's really, really, really Christian prays a prayer. Or we get this idea that God only shows up if we're good enough, or that God only shows up if we can rationally make sense of it. Because we're in university, and we've taken some philosophy classes, and we have just figured out how society works. We know everything. And we're thinking to ourselves, this does not make any rational sense. God would not show up walking on water. This does not make rational sense. God wouldn't heal this person of cancer. This does not make sense. You don't have any money. God won't provide for you. God shows up in the most bizarre fashions. And sometimes God shows up in ways that don't make sense. You know, sometimes the person who... It's not, it's not always the good who win. It's not all the godly who, who, who survive. It's not only the godly who thrive. Sometimes it's the most wickedest and vilest people who are extraordinarily successful in life. And we sit back and we say, why do good things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen to good people? I was speaking to a police officer friend of mine the other day. And there was me, a police officer, and a fireman. Sounds like the makings of a good joke. There you go. And we were having this conversation that sometimes you can see this gangster, this guy who's lived a life of crime his entire life, drunk drive, get out of his car, get, get shot multiple times, go to hospital, survive. And sometimes you get a, a four-year-old kid who gets nicked by a bullet, doesn't even penetrate him, and he dies of blood poisoning. Why? Why? And these are good questions to ask. And they're good questions to wrestle through. And what we need to understand is that God sometimes shows up in ways that don't make sense. So don't get panicked. 
by by oh oh no no what are you saying bad things happen in this world oh pastor this sucks listen the kingdom of god is advancing god is real people are getting saved people are being set free people are being healed churches are advancing it's an exciting day to be a part of the church it's an exciting day to be alive don't listen to all this doom and gloom stuff right listen to what's being written in here Listen to what the Word of God says about us. Think about this young generation. If we were to stand up for what is right, stand up for God, stand up, be led by His Spirit, listen to Jesus, do what He says, no matter what the cost, live out this dream of resurgence. Imagine what, imagine what that's going to look like. And we're a part of it. Think of the very fact that we got hundreds of young adults meeting here on a Saturday night, and there's hundreds of young adults in other parts of the city at bars. The kingdom of God is advancing. You get it. Now, here's the trick. We need to get out of the pews and into the game. It's not just about coming and spectating. God doesn't need any more spectators. He needs players. And what I love about God is that he doesn't, we, this is cliche, but we know it and it's true. He doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. Right? And he grabs us and he uses us. And the most beautiful mystery of God is that he uses broken people to reach broken people. And that's why I'm still a Christian today. And that's why I know that this thing is real, this book, this Bible, this God stuff. Because I see God using people like you, people like me, to advance the kingdom, and it's happening. And God shows up in mysterious ways. Don't forget that. Do not forget that. And so here we have this boat. It's being buffeted by the waves. Jesus is walking over the water. The disciples are, disciples are screaming, ah! It says here, the disciples call out, it's a ghost. It's a ghost, they said. And they cry out in fear. But Jesus immediately says to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. If you're taking notes, this is what I want you to write down. If you're on Twitter, this is what you're going to tweet right here. <laughs> you don't need to recognize God for him to recognize you. Okay, let that one sit for a second. Here's his disciples. Storm all around. I don't know if you can relate. Maybe you've never been in a boat. We live in the prairies, right? But maybe you've, maybe you've never experienced boat storms. But I'm sure you've experienced storms in general. And it's so easy when we're in a storm to look out in fear and everything seems impossible. Even God is hard to tell. Is that really you? Are you a ghost? Are you even real? I can't even tell because I cannot even fathom you coming out all this way in the storm like that. But he does. And what I love about this is God doesn't just come. This is, this is the problem with us as humans. We get this idea in our head. That God only shows up if we ask him to. Or he only shows up if we're good enough. Or he only shows up if we, if we finally get our life in order. And he only shows up when we got him figured out. But sometimes God shows up in the most unexpected ways. And you don't need to actually even know that he's there. And he'll be right there in front of you. You don't need to know who he is for him to rescue you. He'll come wherever you're at. He'll bring life. He'll bring purpose. And he'll restore things that you never thought possible. He can reconcile marriages, reconcile relationships. He can, he can reconcile broken families. 
I've seen God do incredible things. God isn't fake. He's not a philosophy. He's not just some worldview. He's not just some religion. He's God. And he's real. He's real. Verse 28. I love this. Because Peter stands up and he calls out. He says, Lord, if it's you. I love that. He's not even 100% sure at that point. He's looking out. And, and the waves are crazy. He sees this, this, what he thought was a ghost, and all of a sudden he hears the words, he hears this voice that he recognizes, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And something stirs inside of Peter, and he says, I know, I know that voice. And he says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, the voice says. Come. Now, this is what I love about Peter. This is what you want to tweet. Before Peter risked stepping out on the boat, out of the boat, onto the water, he asked God first. And sometimes what happens is we, we're, we're emotive people. We're heart-oriented people. And we can get excited. Man, when, when, during worship, I thought I could punch through that wall. I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> like, this is great. I'm feeling this right now. Let's throw throw chairs around. Let's get crazy in here. And I was feeling it. Right? I don't even know where I was going with that, but I was feeling that. And sometimes what happens is we can get so, so pumped up and so stoked and so excited because that's one of the greatest values we have as, as, as the, the young generation, 30 and unders, everybody who's older. Um, I, I mean, I'm in that category. We're still good, right? But, but everybody in that 30 and under category, I love you. Because of this, you're brave. You're, 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 you're naive, just enough naive. You haven't been burned yet. You haven't been hurt yet. And so you're willing to take risks that, that, that I get scared to take because I'm thinking, I got four kids. I, I, can't, I can't do that. And you're willing to do things. You're willing to go to Ireland. You're willing to do things. You're willing to, to grab onto God's promises and step out. I love that. And the 30 uppers, let's do it too. Right? Let's do it too. And, and the reality is this. I love that about you. you. You got this excitement. But here's the problem, and I've done this so many times. I get excited, and I look at all these needs in the world, and I say, I'm going to go fix every one of them. Because that's noble. And I can do anything. And I remember I used to work at the mustard seed here in Edmonton. And this is when I was going to school with Trav. And I remember working at the mustard seed, and I was so excited to, to, to make a difference. And I'm like, I'm going I'm to change the face of poverty. And I grabbed that, that, that tagline. I said, I'm going to do that myself. And I had all these plans to, to, to save the city and, and reach every single homeless person. I'm, I'm going to do it. I remember Evelyn Rich, she was the pastor at the time. And I remember her coming to me, and she said something. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. She said, Adam. I was like, Yeah. Do you have a minute? I want to talk to you about some spiritual things. You know I want to talk about spiritual things. I'm going to go change the world. And she looks at me and she says, Adam, I want you to listen to me. Listen to me clearly. Wouldn't it be a shame? Like, wouldn't it be a shame if you were to imagine, imagine you, you were in heaven and it was just you and God. And it was the end of your life. And, and God says, so how did you do? 
And, and you look at God in the eyes, you start listing off all these things. You say, I did this, and I did this, and I did this. Did you see that, God? Because I did that too. And she said, wouldn't it be a shame, though, if God looked you in the eyes and he said, yes, but did I ask you to do that? You see, when we say yes to something, we say no to something. You can't forget that. And so if God is real and the Holy Spirit is real and he, and, he, and he resides inside of us, why not ask him first? You see, God works like that. You've got to believe that God has the best plans for our lives. Like, we've got to believe that when God was knitting us together in our mother's wombs, that he was giving us talents and giving us abilities and giving us purpose. You've got to believe that, that if anybody has a great plan for you, it's God. And so why not ask him? It would save you a, a world of grief. Ask him about the little things. And sometimes we're too spiritual to ask about that stuff. We say, wow, 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 I'm Christian. I'll just do everything. And God's saying, oh, wait. Think about as a, as a young man, a young woman of God, hearing direction from God specifically. Imagine that. Imagine, imagine praying a prayer that says, God, I want to listen to you and do what you say no matter what the cost. And if it is you, Lord, tell me to come. Show me what that's supposed to look like. That's what I loved about Peter. Before he risked, he didn't just risk for risk's sake. Us young people, we love risk. But if we risk for risk's sake, people get hurt in the process. Then Peter got down out of the boat. And he walked on the water and came towards Jesus. That's awesome. He, he, he climbs out of the boat and he walks out on the water towards Jesus. You see, we always give Peter a bad rap because he sinks. But he took some steps on the water. And the whole boat was filled with disciples. And the whole boat was filled with people watching Peter do this. And Peter stands up and says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. Jesus says, come. Peter says, okay. And he, and he climbs out of the boat. And this is your next tweet. In order, for people to, or in order for Peter to walk on the water, he had to step out of the comfort of the boat. You see, there's a whole lot of other people in the boat who don't have this story, who just watched. And one of the things that scares me is that I will be okay and content with just being a watcher. I don't want to be a watcher. And I don't want you guys to be watchers. Because the kingdom of God is advancing. And do you know how it advances? By our people, us, getting into the game. By, by us getting off the bench. By us saying, God, I'm tired of watching. I'm tired of spectating. I'm tired of watching other people do all this cool stuff. God, I want a story too. Use me. And if it, is, if, if it is you, God, tell me to tell me to step out of this boat and I will do it. Imagine if a group of people pray that prayer. God, whatever you're asking me to do, I will do it. Just, just, just tell me to get out of the boat. And I believe God's telling us to get out of the boat. Because let's be real, there's more people at bars tonight than there are at resurgence. There's a whole lot of kingdom to advance. Uh, I was told one time, this is a, a quote that has become my life anthem. And it's, uh, there are dark places in this world because Christians are too afraid to go there. There are dark places because Christians are too afraid to go there. 
Because we like it in the light. It's awesome in the light. People can see what we do. Right? You see, nobody, nobody cares if we are, 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 are serving passionately. If, if, well, what, what if people don't see it? I mean, if I were to serve passionately, I'm going to do it at the front with my hands raised high. And I'm not belittling anybody at the front. I was at the front too. But, but you got to hear me. The spiritual climax of the Christian faith is not epic worship services. It can't be. If that's all it was, if Christianity was all about just us spending time with the Father, the moment you became a Christian, you would have been zapped into heaven. It would make way more sense. But God left us here because we are his rescue plan for humanity. We're his plan. It's, 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 it's the church working together. That's why I love resurgence. That's why I love what it represents because it's such a beautiful picture of the hand of God moving. Unity within the churches, the global church standing up and saying, let's fight this together. Let's forget about these denominational lines. Let's forget about, let's forget about just arguing with each other all the time. Who cares? There are people who are going to hell. That's what I care about. And that's what God cares about too. And we spend so much time hanging out in the light because it's easier in the light. It's funner in the light. You get more followers in the light. We're not supposed to get followers. We're supposed to follow Jesus. That's why Twitter's so annoying. We think it's all about people following us and we're supposed to be following him. That's the problem with our generation. That was a good one too. But when, the, but when he saw the wind... So the waves are going, the boat's still crashing. Remember, nothing gets calm yet. It's still chaos out there. It's still a storm. And still, amidst this storm, amidst this chaos that is in his life, this discomfort, this pain, this uncertainty, this, this chaos that's going on all around, Jesus, this guy who's standing right in front of him, his second cousin just died. Like, this is not an exciting day. People are drained. They're weary. They just fed 5,000 people. And that sounds really motivating and exciting, but I don't know about you. When I leave a place like Resurgence and I spend time in the presence of God, I get tired. <laughs> Right? And, and so, so you got to remember this. These are humans, right? And so they're tired, they're weary, and even in that season, Peter still steps out of the boat. Peter still starts to walk towards Jesus. Let that be a metaphor and a picture for your life. No matter what you're facing, still step out and keep walking. And so he steps out, but then he starts looking at his circumstance, and he starts to sink. And oh, how that happens to me all the time. All the time. I wish, I wish this story sounded different. But at the same time, I'm kind of glad it doesn't. Because it enables us to see a little bit of us in Peter. It's real. It's real. People don't always get healed. Great things don't always happen. Sometimes you get wet. Sometimes you sink. And so it says, the wind comes, he gets afraid, I'm beginning to sink. That's why I like this picture. He starts to sink, but that's not where he goes. That's not actually how the story works. Because as he starts to sink, he calls out to Jesus, Lord, save me. And it says in verse 31, immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. 
He says, you have little faith. He said, why did you doubt? You can, you can just feel the tension. The, you, can, you almost can hear the murmurs in the boat, the whispers. What was he thinking? What an idiot. I am so glad I'm not Peter right now. And that's probably one of the most accurate pictures of the church you're going to hear. Because we kind of celebrate when people fail. Because we look better. He stepped out of the boat. Man, can you believe that? He just stepped on the boat. Man, can you believe that? He's walking on the water. He's walking on the water, Thomas. Yeah, right, I doubt it. And everybody's, he's walking on the water, Thomas. Do you see that? And he, he's walking on the water. He sunk. Yeah, he sunk. High five. He sunk. Idiot. And we, we, we do that. And why, when, when can we stop doing that? Somebody's church is just killing it and they're doing great. Yeah, but their worship sucks. Someone, someone's church is just, just exploding. Yeah, but they barely even preach the gospel there. And, and yeah, I just read this great book. It was just this most amazing book ever, but, but I don't believe everything it says. And it's like we got to kind of like devalue things in order to, to give ourselves a little bit of value. Stop it! Adam, stop it! Us, stop it! Because the world sees that. And we pretend that it doesn't. But the world sees that. Then we see this very, very real inconsistency. We've got to stop it. And so it says in verse 32, And when they climbed into the boat, the wind dies down. It's bizarre. It's as if this is all a big, giant teaching metaphor. <laughs> that the storm didn't actually really even matter all that much. It was almost as though it was to teach us some kind of crazy, sick lesson. In verse 33, then those who were in the, in the boat, they worshiped Jesus. They said, truly, you are the Son of God. Number six, last thing I want you to write down, and this is a good time to invite the band up. Our circumstance or our perceived failures do not eliminate spiritual significance. And I need you to hear that tonight. Because you see, yeah, Peter sunk. But here we are 2,000 years later talking about this story. And it's as though Jesus is saying, sometimes you're going to sink. But it's not about just walking on the water. It's about taking that step in the first place. When I, uh, I'll share a little bit of my story. When I, when I got called to Edmonton, I, I was youth pastoring in Nanaimo, British Columbia, on Vancouver Island. That's where I'm from. Island, what? And, and so I grew up on an island. And so here I am, I'm pastoring on this island, and God's doing some great works in Nanaimo. And in our, our youth ministry, it, it was just a phenomenal season. Uh, uh, of, of growth. We saw people getting saved in the high schools. God enabled the ability for us to be able to put a not-for-profit in the, in the school and partner with the school. And kids were getting saved. It was phenomenal. And out of nowhere, God, God calls us to Edmonton. And, and it happened like this. You see, I got a phone call. Actually, before I got a phone call, I was preaching a sermon. And after the sermon, I got off the stage 
And I came to the ground, and one of the deacons in our church came up to me, and he said, Adam, I had a dream last night. I had a dream that, that you were going to be leaving here, and you are going to be going to a different church. And see, this was a fascinating conversation that I had, because for, for, for three years, Weka had been trying to hire us, and they had been phoning us to, to, to get us to move to Alberta. And every single time, very quickly, I was like, no, no. Do you know how long your winters are? Not happening. We're good. We're very good. I will stick to my reign. Thank you very much. And so, and so I get this phone call one night, and, and, uh, and they, they, uh, they offer us to, to a job. And they say, come up and interview. And I say, no way. And then all of a sudden, I get this conversation at this altar. And, and, and this man saying to me, I had this dream that you are supposed to move away. And I thought, okay, maybe, Lord, but I don't think so. I'm not sure. And then later that week, I got a phone call, another phone call, but this time it was from my landlord. And my landlord says to me, he says, Adam, uh, I'm sorry to tell you this, but we're selling the house, and uh, you're going to have to move, and you have three months. And at that, I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe this is God, but maybe not. I hope not. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, I mean, this is, a season of, this is a good season of ministry for us. We've been here for five years. We're finally starting to see fruit. Uh, I don't want to go. And then Shandy and I, we talked, and we prayed, and we said, okay, well, this is, this is going to be our fleece, if there's a fleece. We're going to go to our, our pastor, and we're going we're gonna to just be as honest as we can. And we're going to say, hey, Pastor Darcy, we were offered a job in Edmonton, and we're not sure if it's God. And if it is, we want to move there. And I was so scared, because if you tell your boss that, he, he has every reason to say, okay, well, you're done. You're obviously, your allegiance isn't here, or whatever. And we're terrified. But he looked at me and said something I'll never forget. He said, Adam, if God wants you there, we don't want you here. And I said, I'm so thankful for godly men in my life. And so, so we moved, or we, we, we took a flight, and we flew to Edmonton, and we came to, to start interviewing, and we had two children at the time, and right before we left, Anderson, he jumped out of the crib, and he decided he was going to be a big boy from now on, and he decided he's not going to wear diapers, he's not going to sleep in a crib, he's not going to sit in a high chair, he's going to be big, and it was stressful because we were getting billeted. Right? And so here I am trying to put my best foot forward, thinking, okay, I got to impress these people, even though it was like friends' house that we're staying at. And it, my, my family's, my kids are going like all crazy. Shandy's kind of getting a little bit annoyed with me because I'm getting all stressed out and frustrated and, uh, and uh, just trying to get my head on straight. And then the church, they, they, they put us up at, at Camp Nakamon and they say, well, spend, spend a night and pray about whether or not you're supposed to come. And so we get there, and believe it or not, it was June, it was snowing outside. You're from Alberta, so you believe it very clearly. And uh, I, I was, it just added to my frustration. I'm thinking, gosh, God, it's snowing in June. My kids are going crazy. I'm so tired. I don't even know if I'm supposed to be here. I don't know. And, and so we get there, and Shandy, in her wonderful wife kind of way, said, you need to go for a prayer walk, which is code for you're driving me crazy. And, uh, and, and so I go out and go for this little prayer walk, and I find myself, and I come to this dock, and I'm standing on this dock, and I remember this time. So God's been really good in, in my life, and he's allowed me to go and speak a lot of different places. And, and, and a few years before that, I was, I was at that same camp. And there was this crazy time where I was at this camp, and I was at the, on the water's edge at the same camp retreat that we were there praying to see if whether or not we are going to move to Edmonton. And I remember, this was three years before, standing on the water's edge, and so clearly I heard the voice of God say to me, Adam, I'm calling you to step out onto the water. 
And I had to preach a sermon right after that. And I remember thinking to myself, uh, nope, not going to happen because I don't want to get wet and look like an idiot in front of everybody. This, this is crazy. I'm just thinking this. This can't be real. And I remember walking back and the youth pastor, he comes up and he stands beside me and he has this really weird grin on his face. And he says, hey, wouldn't it be so cool if God just called us just to walk out onto the water? I'm thinking, what? No, what? No, 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 yeah, that wouldn't be cool at all. And, uh, and just kind of ignored it. But there's this fascinating moment where here I am three years later, I'm standing at the dock, and God reminds me of this moment. And I'm standing on this dock, and I'm looking out at the water, and there it is again. And God says, Adam, I'm calling you to, to step off the dock and into the water. He says, your dock represents Nanaimo, and you're safe on the dock, you're comfortable on the dock, you're secure on the dock, but I'm calling you to step out and take a risk. And I'm thinking, dear Jesus, please let this just be a metaphor. Like, I don't want to do this. But then, then something stirred up inside of me, and I'm like, what if God's calling me to actually step out on the water? So I started getting pumped, and so I started to kind of build up my faith. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Ah, uh, no, 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 that's stupid, that's stupid. No, I'm going to do this. And then I started to take my coat off, and I'm like, no, 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 that's a lack of faith. I'm in. I'm all in. Okay, this is going to happen. And I remember thinking, and we have a family motto, Shandy and I and our kids, and this is our family motto, and I, and I hope and I pray that you would take the same one. It's listen to Jesus, do what he says, no matter what the cost. And as I'm standing on the dock, that comes to mind. And I start to think to myself, if I think that God is calling me to step out of this dock and I don't do it, what kind of Christian am I? I want to be the kind of Christian that's obedient no matter what the crazy cost. So I got to the dock, I closed my eyes, and I stepped. One step, two step, three step. Four. Just kidding, that didn't happen at all. <laughs> had you though, I had you. <laughs> I get to the dock and I step off, splash! Water over my head. <gasps> get onto the dock. <coughs> I thought you were going to help me there, God. I get back to the cabin. Shandy looks at me. What happened to you? It's a long story. <laughs> we go to church the next day. And we have our last interview. And I'm starting to tell this story. And, and, and Pastor Dave Knudsen starts laughing his head off. Just laughing awkwardly. You know when people laugh a little bit too much? You're like, this is just awkward. Stop. And he looks at me and he says, Adam, you don't understand. When we wrote your job description, this is what we wrote down right at the top. We want somebody who's like a Peter, who's willing to step out of the boat and onto the water. And at that moment, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm in. I'm in. It was the best decision I ever made. But it's something I'll never forget. I didn't walk on the water. I got soaked. And it was very uncomfortable. And I'm actually very scared of beavers. And there's a beaver right beside me. It was actually a very horrible experience. But there's something I'll never let go of. I tried. And my prayer for each and every one of us in this room is that we be the kind of people that try. That we just listen to Jesus and do what he says no matter what. And, and do our best to listen to him. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized it doesn't matter if I walked on the water. What matters is the fact that I listened. 
And that's my prayer for all of us in this room today. And, if, and I'm, I'm sure you guys do this, and actually you guys do this. I, I'd invite some, some prayer workers to the front tonight. And I don't know when you usually end, but actually I really don't care either. And, and so <laughs> and then here's the deal. Here's the deal. There are some of you in this room where, where, where and being purely just super honest. You've maybe prayed for some people to be healed, and they died. And so you stopped praying for people. Or you may have, maybe God's asked you to talk to somebody and tell them about your faith. And you, and you opened your mouth, and you thought for sure, for sure, and for certain that they were going to give their heart to God. And they, they turned around, and they maybe lost a friendship because of it. Or, or they barked right back at you, and who dare, how dare you talk to me about that? Or there may be some of you or, where you feel like God told you to start a business, and you started this business, and the whole thing collapsed. Or, or, or maybe you feel like maybe God told you at one point to, to move to this community or move to this city and you moved and you get there and it's not what you thought it was going to be. Don't stop trying. Don't stop. What would happen if Peter stopped? And that's why, that's why I look back at the story and I'm so thankful he didn't walk on the water. Because we can identify with that. We can identify with the emotion. We can identify with the hurt. We can identify with the awkwardness. We can identify with the pain. And if we can't be Christian in those seasons, what are we even doing here? And so tonight, this is my prayer. My prayer is that God would do a few things. One, that God would restore something inside you that maybe, maybe you've lost. And I'm gonna, maybe, maybe it's faith. Maybe you've lost your faith. You say, well, I, I still come to church. I still, I still go to Christian things. I'm, st- I'm here. Like, I have some faith. But when you pray prayers, you don't actually believe God cares. Or you don't actually believe God can do anything. And my prayer today is that God would stir something inside you and remind you that he is bigger than your circumstance and he's bigger than that situation. See, my kids call for me all the time when I tuck them in at night. Dad, Dad, come to me. Dad, come to me. Dad, I'm hungry. Dad, I need a snuggle. Dad, I need my stuffed animal. Dad, Dad, Dad. And God talked to me one time. And he just spoke to my heart. He said, Adam, what your kids are doing now is the same thing you do to me all the time. <laughs> he said, your kids are fine in there. Their needs are met. They may be uncomfortable. They may, they may think that, that, that you're the only person that can make them feel better and you're the only way they can ever fall asleep. But they're going to be Okay. And so oftentimes when I'm uncomfortable and when I'm, and I'm discomfort, full of discomfort and pain, God, God, help me, God, help me, God, help me, God, help me, God, where are you? Do you even care? Do you even care, God? Where are you? And he's saying, yes, I do. But I need you to walk through this storm. And so tonight, my prayer is that God would restore things. My prayer is that God would reconcile relationships tonight. And you may be here tonight, and, and uh, my prayer ultimately is that you would reconcile that relationship with God. We're even coming here tonight almost as a miracle in and of itself. And you're like, I, 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 I don't even really believe that God's even there. And my prayer is that God would restore that relationship with you, that you would know that you know that you know that you're his son or you're his daughter and he's got a plan and a calling in your life. I believe that God wants to move today. I believe that God wants to move through you. I believe that God is calling you to, 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 to step out of the pews and in, in, into his presence. I believe that God is calling us to step out of the boat and into the water. And I don't know what your boat represents, but I do know that God is faithful. And so would you all stand with me tonight? It's kind of a, a, a mirage of opportunity to respond. Uh, 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 mirage is definitely the wrong word. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's like a smorgasbord of opportunity. 
And would you close your eyes with me just for a moment? God, all across this room are real people. God, we're real. Life is real. God, I pray that you would restore what has been taken, that you would restore what has been lost. God, where there is hopelessness, that you would bring hope. God, where there is fear, that you would bring faith. God, where there is death, that you would bring life. God, where there is hurt, that God, that you would bring reconciliation tonight. Jesus, that you would bring forgiveness. God, that you would break off chains. God, that you would, I pray for freedom tonight, Lord Jesus, in your precious name. That there would be freedom all in this place, Lord God. That there, there's been, there's so, those of us in this room where we've gathered change and we've gathered hurts and we've gathered pain and we've put ourselves in cages. And God, I pray that tonight you would blow the walls off them, Lord God. That Jesus, I pray that God, I recognize and I just, I'm with you, that your kingdom is advancing, God. And I'm so thankful to be here at this place tonight, God. And I just pray that all of us in this room would grab a hold of you tonight, Lord Jesus. That you would show us a little glimpse of who you are, a little glimpse of your hope and your plan and your purpose for our lives, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would stir up courageous faith, that you'd stir up risk-taking kind of faith, God. That we'd be a generation of mavericks, a generation of pioneers, a generation of trendsetters. A generation who's not afraid to stand when other people are terrified to stand. A generation who will stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. A generation who doesn't feel as though we need to do it all for ourselves. But a generation that grabs onto the generation ahead of us and says, how can I do what you did? A generation of humility. A generation of faith. A generation of young people who will say, God, I am for you. I am with you. I want to walk with you, Lord God. Jesus, I pray that you would open our eyes to all the opportunity around us. God, that you give us ears to hear you, that you give us eyes to see you. God, I speak over this, this, this community, and I speak life. I speak multiplication, Lord God. Multiplication beyond just this room, beyond just this city, beyond this province, beyond this nation, Lord God. I thank you for places like Ireland. I thank you for the many places you're going to take it. I thank you for the leadership of this group. I thank you for the people who are here tonight. I thank you that, God, that you don't make mistakes. I thank you that, God, that we're not here by some fluke. And I thank you that, God, that just maybe, oh, maybe, you brought us here for such a time as this. So Holy Spirit, have your way tonight. Holy Spirit, may we see where you're going. And Holy Spirit, may we be obedient to your leading. In your name we pray. God, we come to you. Amen. Amen. So I don't know how you function. If you would like prayer specifically, we have prayer workers here. If you're sitting in your pews, I encourage you just to call on God tonight. We're not done yet. We're not done. The Holy Spirit is real and he wants to work in you. He wants to encourage you and restore you. Let's move.